What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Maxwell Kozmolski. You're listening to Max's Morning Market Mania, and you're going to be listening to this on Monday, June 27th, 2022. So welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I always appreciate you guys listening and showing your support. So on today's episode, I'm going to discuss a few things. One, I'm going to discuss a lot of my favorite resources that I would encourage anybody else to look into, which has given me a lot of information and knowledge in regards to the markets. I'm going to discuss Jerome Powell and some of the remarks he had, uh, along with that, the move in interest rates, its impact on housing affordability, and obviously the the daily scoreboard, you know, what, what all the stocks did and whatnot, as well as some events that are going on in Russia, and nothing crazy with gas prices. I'll talk a little bit about that. I'll start with that. So, Biden proposed a national gas tax holiday, and this will be three months where they just get rid of the gas tax, which is about 18 cents a gallon. And I guess that's pretty important because we're coming into the busiest weekend of the year where people put the most gas in their cars. They they use the most gas. Uh, I don't know what the impact will that be. That will be. I mean, I can't. I can't imagine it doing much. I mean, it's 18 cents off. It just takes away. Revenue for the U.S. government, not that it was that much to begin with, but gas prices, they're still around the same, even though crude oil has dropped from 120 at its recent peak down to 106, 107 area. And so let's start with some of my favorite resources. So coming into Max's Morning Market Mania, I listen to a lot of different people. I read articles. I listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos, all that good stuff. So a few of these resources, obviously Zero Hedge, that's a, you know, just a, a news organization for finance and economics and whatnot. A few YouTube channels that I really like are I Love Prosperity. Jake Ducey brings on a lot of financial gurus, and they talk about specifically commodities like uranium, miners and uh, gold miners, silver miners, stuff like that. He believes that there's a generational opportunity to get involved in these commodities because inflationary times always send commodities through the roof and we have impending shortages. We have shortages that will occur in copper, oil, gold, silver, maybe not gold actually, I don't know that for a fact, but yes, silver, uranium, nickel, uh, lithium. So there is, there is a requirement of more supply to come onto the market to meet the demand. And if it doesn't happen, then price will go up to incentivize further production and to cool down demand. So he talks about that. There's a few other channels that talk about similar things. So I also listen to uh, John Brown. He's the, he has the Hearsay Financial Channel. He does a really good in-depth dive into economics and how the Federal Reserve's Monetary policy impacts the world and the financial systems and whatnot. Rick Rule, any interview, any interview on YouTube where Rick Rule is a part of, I'm listening to that. Same with Doug Casey. I listen to Palisades Gold Radio. A lot of macro economists on there, independent speculators. Very interesting. A few books that I read. Uh, well, I like quite a few economics books. A little History of Economics by... Uh, Neal Kishtani, there's a book called Wrong, I forget the author of that one, Economics in One Lesson, that's by Henry Hazlitt, 
The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. He has a uh, sequel that I want to read, and it's a pretty old book, and it's supposedly very, very difficult. It's like securities analysis or something like that. I'm in the middle of reading Human Action by Ludwig von Mises. He was a brilliant economist who lived way back in the day. Very difficult read, but it's very interesting. It, it discusses why and how human action across the broad spectrum of millions of people impacts what goes on in the world. Very interesting stuff. Uh, also can't forget George Gammon, the rebel capitalist. He's also an anti-communist. I appreciate how much he stands up for freedom and whatnot. And he educates you on the ty tyrannical governments that are trying to take away our rights and invade our privacy and whatnot and how it, is in, how it impacts the financial system. So those are a few resources. I, I respect all of them. I think you guys should go check them out. Oh, Liberty and Finance as well on YouTube. They're a good one. So I take information from all of these sources. I, I take what I like and I leave what I don't. I cross-check the information with other sources. Obviously, I read big headlines like Bloomberg and or big media uh, organizations like Bloomberg and Yahoo Finance and whatnot, Fox Business, whatever. So enough with that. As you guys know, what's going on right now, there's a G7 summit. And for those who don't know what the G7 is, uh, I have a little definition right here. The Group of Seven is an intergovernmental political forum consisting of Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, United Kingdom, and the United States. So these are just some of the biggest economic powers in the, in the Western world and, and in Europe. Obviously, you know, Russia, China, and India are not a part of that, but they are together right now and they're discussing a lot of things. And one of the new developments is that they actually decided to do a complete ban on imports of Russian gold, which they're doing this to harm Russia and incentivize them to basically fuck off, quit fucking with Ukraine. We're gonna give you economic damage so that you will know that we want you to discontinue your actions. And this will cut off $19 billion a year for Russia. And at the same time, well, first of all, Russia is the second largest gold producer on the planet. They produce about 10% of the gold on the planet. And this will decrease supply for Western civilization and, and Europe, at least amongst those countries. But China and India, they don't give a shit. And because they're not going to be, Russia won't be importing gold to the United States, the United Kingdom, you know, the LBMA, the London Bullion Metals Association, uh, it will decrease demand, which, as we know, lower demand, lower price. And China and India, will they'll probably be laughing all the way to the bank. They're glad to buy up Russian gold at a discount. So one way or another, it seems like Russia is not hurting that bad from our sanctions and whatnot. Our current, their currency at least shows that. And obviously, we don't know exactly what's going on in Russia. They're not the most transparent. And... Obviously, it, it has an impact not doing as much business with big countries like the United States. But we saw when the sanctions first got imposed, the Russian ruble skyrocketed. Or it didn't skyrocket. It, it plummeted. You look at the chart, and it's uh, the USD to the ruble, USD slash RUB. And you see it goes from, I think, about 60, 70, 80 rubles per dollar per US dollar to 
about 130 rubles per US dollar. So I'm looking at it right now. All right, so it was about 70, 80 rubles per dollar. And then it went to 130 rubles per dollar. And now their currency is actually it's the strongest it's been since 2014 at 50 rubles per dollar. So that doesn't, that doesn't guarantee that they're doing well. It doesn't guarantee that they're prosperous or anything like that. I just wanted to tell you guys because it's a significant event. Their currency is doing its best since 2014. And with this Russian gold thing, actually what sent the gold price to almost its all-time high nominally uh, in March was early March when the Russia, U Russia, when Russia invaded Ukraine was that all the sanctions basically you know, announced that it was very likely that Russian gold wasn't going to make it to the United States. And I guess it was just made official, but it was also a fear trade. Gold is kind of safe. It's a safe haven. It's a fear trade. People think shit's going to hit the fan. They want to own gold. You know, currency crises, it might incentivize someone to own gold rather than dollars because they're being devalued. And on top of that, <clears throat> uh, so we, well, we saw gold go to like $2,079 an ounce or something like that, and it has retreated greatly. But I think another potential driver of that price back then was rumors about Russia going on a full gold standard, which would be very beneficial for them because it would stabilize their currency and whatnot. Uh, not that it needs much stabilizing right now, but they actually did temporarily for a while. Uh, start. They started buying the their central bank, their sovereign wealth fund, one of those two, uh, they started buying gold at a fixed rate of 5,000 rubles per ounce of gold. And what actually happened after that was their currency started appreciating in value so much that it was stupid. It was foolish of them to continue buying it at that fixed rate because if it wasn't fixed, they could get more gold for the same amount of rubles. So as you guys know, I'm, I'm kind of a gold bug. I like gold and silver, and these, these aren't consistent investments. You look back at the charts, and you see silver, it skyrocketed, in the, it skyrocketed in the late 70s and into like 1980, and then it skyrocketed in 2011. And other than that, it was pretty much flat to shitty all those other years. And it gets propelled forward on inflation fears, uh, people, j just general fear of the markets, uncertainty and whatnot. And I know that there's been a, there are big players in the markets, big uh, financial institutions that are able to move the market effortlessly just because they're such big players. And uh, a consequence of that has been that the prices have been, I don't want to go as far as say suppressed, although I do think we know that there has been corruption because JP Morgan got fined $900 million for manipulating the precious metals markets. But whether it's criminal manipulation or not, uh, gold prices and silver prices, they move in the opposite direction of the dollar. So when the dollar is strengthening, as we've seen plenty of times, specifically during the 2020 liquidity crunch, when the dollar is strengthening, people are flooding to dollars, people are exiting pretty much everything else, including gold, including silver. And also the biggest propeller of gold and silver prices are uh, lowering interest rates. Uh, 
decreasing real yields. So there's a nominal yield and then there's a real yield. So the nominal yield of the 10-year treasury is 3.13% compounded annually. Now that 3.1% compounded annually is in a currency that's losing 8.6% every single year. So the nominal yield would be 3.1%, but the real yield would be that interest rate minus that percentage that you lost due to inflation. So the US 10-year treasury is basically promising you a minus 5% return compounded annually. And Rick Rule has said that that's return-free risk, which we don't want. We want risk-free return. So kind of going off on a tangent, I love talking about uh, commodities and whatnot. I'm super bullish. But what I was getting into was I wanted to talk about what the Federal Reserve is doing with interest rates, and we know that interest rates have gone up. And I don't think the general public realizes that the 10-year treasury, the global benchmark security, is promising a negative 5% compounded, a negative 5% annually compounded return on investment, which is hopelessly unappealing. And when the world, or at least when our country and the world, whatever, when they realize what's going on, then I think that it'll, it'll be over. And by that, I mean, they'll know that the scheme is up. They'll know that it's not profitable to put your money in the global benchmark security that the whole world looks at as a safe haven, a great investment. And historically, it has been. But it's been trading at a negative yield, negative real yield lately. And when it's at a negative real yield and it the real yield is decreasing and the nominal yield decreasing will be another tailwind for gold and silver prices. But as you can, when you can't earn as much interest in bonds, people flock to something else. Would you rather have a 5% on your 10-year treasury or a 2% return on your 10-year treasury? Now, as that goes down, it becomes less appealing, so people flock, in, flock into other investments like gold and silver. So I am bullish on them, but I think there is a very good chance that in the next 12 to 24 months, we don't see a huge rally. Now, when I say I'm bullish, I mean, eventually it'll go up. I, I, I'm relatively certain of that, and I'm a long-term investor. I try to think in terms of quarters rather than the weekend, you know, most people and, you know, including myself, I, we want to trade our way to financial freedom in the next three to seven days. But in reality, that usually happens in three to seven years, or unfortunately, 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 years. But compounding interest is, as Warren Buffett said, the eighth wonder of the world, something like that. It is a beauty and it works a lot better when you start in your 20s or your teens rather than relying on compound interest from 60 to 80, I'm going to begin that compound interest from 23 to 80 to 90 to 100. So with interest rates rising and Jerome Powell, he announced that uh, a, 70, a 50 to 75 basis point rate hike for next month is not out of the question. It's on the table. And for those who don't know the terminology of, you know, 50 basis points, that's a half a percent. So it's it's almost futile because inflation is 
8.6%, which is a fraud, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But in order to combat inflation, you need interest rates to be higher than the rate of inflation. And historically, that has been the case, but not right now. So that leads me to believe that we have a long way to go with, rise, with raising rates. And if the rates keep going up, then I expect gold and silver and other inflation hedges to perform underwhelmingly. I expect them to probably go down. And, you know, that's, that's going to be me losing money, but it's all right. HODL, baby, H-O-D-L, hold on for dear life and invest in the, for the long run. So interest rates. The average 30-year mortgage is at 5.8%. That's down 13 basis points from last week. Not a huge move, but you keep in mind it wasn't too long ago in the last 24 months, people were getting a 30-year mortgage for under 2.9%, maybe even a little bit less. So affordability in housing has drastically decreased. So affordability decreasing, that would decrease demand, right? That makes sense. Less people can afford it. So more people wouldn't be buying. Less people would be buying. So less demand. What does decreasing demand do to price? It lowers price. Well, that's not what happened. And this takes longer than one month to play out. This is something that we're going to look at in the year 2028. And we're going to be looking at a chart and we're going to see the full picture when we can look at a chart from 2020 to 2026 or, a, you know, a larger period of time than that. So I do expect home prices to, uh, actually, I don't know. Nothing makes fucking sense. But for the fourth month in a row, uh, home sales fell, actually. So prices rose, but the amount of homes that sold decreased for the fourth month in a row. So even with affordability going down, prices are still going up. So here is my take on that. So say I'm going to get a mortgage. I go to Joe Blow, the mortgage lender, Hey, Joe, I'd like to take out a 30-year mortgage. Here, I make X dollars per year. And he's like, great, you qualify for a $300,000 loan at 6%. So if, if I know that interest rates are continuing to go up and the Federal Reserve says that another rate hike is on the table for next month, and they've even talked about multiple other rate hikes later in the year, if I know that they're going to raise rates even more, then I'm incentivized to purchase now rather than later. So you guys may or may not know, I've been in real estate for a while and I, I hear realtors, they'll tell you eight days a week that it's the perfect time to sell, perfect time to buy. You don't want to wait till next week. You didn't want to wait till next week, a year ago, five years ago, anything. They're, they'll always tell you it's time to buy or time to sell, but for the first time in a while, we know that affordability is going to continue to decrease. So I think that incentivizes the masses to buy right now rather than later. And if more people are buying right now, then there's more people bidding for the same house. So I think that is the primary reason for uh, housing going up alongside, of course, with commodities increasing in value and uh you know, it, it costs more to build a home than it did previously. So 
that's my take on it. Another thing I wanted to mention about the housing prices is if you, well, this statistic, it comes from the BLS, which is the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And they say that home, they call it shelter. And you can break down shelter. This is in the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. It's about one third of the index shelter is. So they're telling us that shelter has gone up 5.45% from May of 2021 to May of 2022. But you can look at other sources and the median home price. Now keep in mind, the other one is shelter. They kind of just jerry-rig these statistics because if the statistics look bad, then it'll make the whole country look bad. And it'll make the president look bad. It'll make the Federal Reserve look bad. And we are the largest debtor nation on the planet. So many other countries are holding our debt. We don't want to put out bad news about our currency or our economic state because then other countries who are holding trillions of dollars of our debt, we've got $30.5 trillion in debt. Other countries that are holding that debt, they might be incentivized to get rid of our debt because the credit worthiness of the United States of America might be in question. So median home prices rose from May of 2021 to May of 22, 14.8%. So I wanna ask you unintelligent or corrupt people at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, where do you get that fucking number? You people are being dishonest and they're saying that inflation is 8.6%. If you use the method that they used to calculate inflation in 1980, then that number is above 15% right now. And that's much less appealing than 8.6%. So Jerome Powell, he also said that a soft landing for the economy is gonna be very challenging and a recession is certainly possible. Now I've shit on Jerome Powell plenty of times in the past. I don't particularly trust him. He got us into this mess. You know, when the, when the COVID lockdowns hit, they decided to increase the currency supply in a matter of, you know, 18 months, they increased the currency supply by over 50%. That is insanely inflationary. That is why you see billionaires like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, that's, that's why you saw them have tens of billions of dollars in capital gains. You inject all that money into the system, it has to go somewhere. It ends up in the stock market. It ends up in a whole bunch of different financial securities. So the people at the top, they get richer and the people at the bottom, they pay the price of inflation. So Jerome Powell, I do not trust you. You told us after increasing the currency supply by 50%, you told us that inflation wasn't gonna happen. What? You're a fucking idiot or you're corrupt because I'm not even smart or anything. And I knew inflation was going to happen. All the people I listened to knew inflation was going to happen. Every other time in history, when a central bank or a government did exactly that, the result has always been inflation. Why would it be different this time? And then once, you know, the, the cat was out of the bag, oh, we're getting inflation. You know what he said next? Oh, it's transitory. It's, it's only going to be here temporarily. It's going to go away. Well, you know, once, once people called bullshit on him on that, he had to swap his answer. He had to change what he said. And now he's acknowledging that inflation is here to stay. So which one is it, Powell? 
Are you just going to lie to us until it's impossible to lie and then adjust your story every time? So now we're entrusting him to fix this inflation and he is not doing it very well, not like Paul Volcker did. He raised interest rates a lot back in the late 70s, early 80s, and it destroyed inflation. It worked exactly as planned. And they're talking about this little tiny 50 basis point rate hike. We have 8.6% inflation. We need interest rates above 10%. Now, what are the consequences of that? The consequences of that are home affordability gets even lower. Less and less people will be able to afford homes. Per usdebtclock.org, our average or our annual, uh, the every year we pay interest on our debt. We have $30.5 trillion in debt. And you guys want to know how much we pay every single year in interest on that national debt? $437 billion. So what would happen if we doubled the interest rate? Take out your mental calculators and run the math on that. It would dramatically increase the interest on our debt, which would require more taxpayer dollars to be taken from us in order to make up for that discrepancy. And $437 billion in interest every year? Let's just put things into perspective. Elon Musk, he paid $11 billion in taxes last year. And that's the most any individual has ever paid in taxes in all of history. So how many Elon Musks and the economic output that Elon Musk provides is required just to fund the interest on our national debt? This is what it looks like when you get seven or eight presidents in a row who are very irresponsible and just packing on more and more and more money into the national debt. Now we need... What, what is that number? 11 billion? Call it 10 billion. We need more than 40 Elon Musks and all the economic output he provides every single year just to pay for the interest on our debt, which gets us nowhere. It's, it's like a hamster running on a wheel. It's, we don't get anywhere. If we're, all, if we're only... It's, it's just insane. I, I'm surprised the system is still alive. And... I do think a debt implosion is inevitable. I don't think it's imminent, but right now governments all around the world and their central banks, they've been irresponsible and all these countries are loaded in debt and there's no way they're going to pay it off unless we get an economic boom that's like 10 times better than the economic boom following World War II. I don't know if that number is right 10 times. I was just throwing out a number. We Bottom line is we need an economic boom to pay for it, or we need to dr drastically cut spending, which it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's like you, you feed the stray dog for a month straight and it gets used to it. Oh, I got free food every, every night. This homeowner gives me free food. I'm set. I'm just going to keep going there. The dog might be accustomed to that and it might forget how to get food on its own. So what happens when you take that food away from it? The dog's unhappy. It can't survive on its own. We spend all this money and you can't simply just take that shit away. So we're not going to decrease spending. And so we either decrease spending, we drastically increase taxes, 
I, I don't know how it's going to work. We can only raise taxes so much with, before we harm the economy and reduce economic output. If, you, if taxes are, if you can only take home 50 cents on the dollar, people are going to be less incentivized to work. So raising taxes a shit ton, it, it can have bad effects. And honestly, like, you know, Joe Biden, he inherited a crapshoot of an economy, all this national debt and shit. The next president, he's going to inherit another crapshoot. And probably the president after that will inherit a crapshoot, unless the system implodes underneath one of these presidents, this one or the next one. Uh, I don't know when it'll happen, but just to put things into perspective, our irresponsible spending, U.S. federal spending per usdebtclock.org, $6.1 trillion, and we are earning, the U.S. federal tax revenue is $4.3 trillion. So we're taking in $4.3 trillion and we're spending $6.1. Where is that other $2 trillion coming from? That's coming out of our pocket. We have to pay for that in the future. All these old geezers in the past, they voted themselves all these, all these great, great benefits and, and all that stuff, you know, oh, increase government spending, add it to the national debt, and then just let the next generation pay for it. Well, <laughs> I'm part of that generation that has to fucking pay for it. So I'm displeased with the past irresponsibility of our government. And it'll probably continue to be irresponsible because if they get responsible, it'll probably cause a debt implosion. If we get interest rates above the inflation rate, then the interest on our debt will damn near triple. So can we afford that? No. All right, enough on that. I could bitch about the state of the economy and the irresponsibility of our politicians and our central banks all day long, but there's a few other things I need to cover. Dow Jones last week was up 5%, NASDAQ up over 8%, and the S&P 500 up over 6%. Bitcoin was up over 6%. Bitcoin's still trading in that little zone, 19K to 22K. But we saw a really good week in the stocks last week. And in my opinion, it kind of looks like a dead cat bounce, which is when the stocks are going down, 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 there's kind of like a, a fake out bull market. Like people are like, oh, it's the bottom, let's all buy. And then it rallies and it rallies and it rallies. And then when it goes back down and surpasses its previous low, that's considered a dead cat bounce. I don't think we have, I don't think we're near the end of this financial catastrophe or hiccup or recession or whatever you want to call it. I don't know if it's going to turn into a depression. It kind of seems like a depression. I do think we will see a recession. And actually, one of the, probably the only good thing from a recession, actually two good things from a recession. One is it will fight inflation because people will be spending less money. People will be getting laid off, which is not good. So they'll be spending less money. And if there's less money moving throughout the economy, then inflation dies. So they want money out of the system. You know, they don't want it fluctuating all around the economy because then that increases the money velocity and it increases inflation. But if people park their money in bonds, earning that interest, that fights inflation. And likewise, a recession, which would be a decrease in economic output, by definition, it's two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. That reduction in economic output will, it'll tamp down inflation. So that's one of the good things that'll come from it. And another good thing that'll come from it is 
It creates buying opportunities of a generation. It is the greatest wealth opportunity that anybody could ever have, a recession, because you buy a stock that was $50 before, well, shit is hitting the fan, it's a recession, everyone's scared. That $50 stock that you thought was fairly valued at $50, well, it's now $13. So people can back up the truck, they can buy the dip, Nobody's going to ring a bell at the bottom, but buying the dip is a great uh, opportunity to create generational wealth. And uh, I'm a dollar cost average kind of guy. I'm not going to try to pick the bottom. I'm entering positions right now. I think you know a lot of stocks are absolute bargains right now. A lot of commodities like gold miners, they're, they're pulling in free cash flow hand over fist, even with gold at 1800 bucks. And I think as it gets worse, the state of our economy, I think these buy-in opportunities will be even better, whether it's in crypto, whether it's in financial stocks, whether it's in speculative tech stocks, whether it's in commodities, or whether it's in utilities or stable stocks like Coca-Cola or Walmart. You know, those companies, they're not going anywhere. But that's my take. You can make a lot of money during recessions when you're buying the dip, human emotion will tell you to sell when you're losing all that money because you you want to get out before it gets even lower. You know, you see your account go from, you know, $5,000 to $3,000. It hits your stomach. You lost all that money. You're like, oh, I want to get out before I lose any more. But the people who end up cleaning up, they're the ones who bought at the bottom from all the people that were selling out of fear. So... What else do I want to touch on? Ten-year uh, treasury, uh, it was 3.23% this time last week, and it's 3.13% this week. So rates did cool down a little bit. I think that'll be short-lived. In the next six months, I think we will probably see the ten-year treasury above 4 or 5%, which I don't think the stock market will like that one bit. So I think that'll give you guys an even better buy-in opportunity. And I don't, I, don't think this, I don't think we bottomed out in Bitcoin. I think there's still further downside. Now, I mean, if you liked Bitcoin at 65K, it is three times better at 21K today. So if you're a believer in the technology, it could still be a good time to dollar cost average in, but I certainly would not rule out another 50% decline. So if you can't stomach that, I'd probably stay away from crypto, delete your crypto apps, whatever, because it can be gut-wrenching. I've seen, I've, I've had cryptos that have lost 100% before, and I'll tell you there is a lot more fun things that could happen than losing all your money on an investment. So... Powell also said steep rate, rate hikes could send us into recession, as I kind of just described. Uh, I went over my favorite resources, and that's about all for this week. My, my weekly reminder, educate yourself, be involved in finance, even if you got to hire a professional and... Also do your due diligence there because there's a difference between brokers and independent registered advisors. 
Independent registered advisors have a fiduciary duty to act in your best interest. They're contractually obligated to act in your best interest. A broker is not contractually obligated to act in your best interest. And a broker typically makes their money by selling financial products. And an independent registered advisor, an IRA, they are typically making money via like a commission, like a management fee, something like that. So I understand if everyone doesn't want to be involved in finance, but your money can work for you 24 hours a day, but you cannot work for yourself 24 hours a day. And whether it be buying cash flow properties and you know taking out debt in a currency that's you know losing 8.6% every year and you're only paying 6% every year, you're still you're doing pretty well there because the purchasing power is declining more than the interest that you're paying. You could borrow money and invest in real estate and then, you know, generate cash flow from it. Some people flip properties, some people, you know, they trade stocks, and most people just dollar cost average into safe indexes, indices for decades in a row, and that has proven to be the not only the most boring, but the most slow and sure way to financial freedom. Find out which, which method is best for you. Educate yourself. Check out those resources I mentioned at the beginning. Listen to people that are smarter than me. Listen to the smartest people in the, in the industry. And you can learn a lot. And hopefully you're able to profit. And hopefully we can make it to the top together. So for all of you that tuned in for the whole thing, I appreciate that. It really warms my heart to know that people actually care what I have to say. Sometimes it's it's kind of scary coming up here. I'm, you know, I'll have some doubts and hesitations, like, oh, who am I to say all this shit? But I'm not here giving financial advice. I'm outlining what's going on in the markets and giving my take on it, and simply just encouraging you guys to educate yourselves. So before I go, tune into our other podcasts where we have fun, we shoot the shit, we talk about important events. Uh, we also just. Uh, talk about things that we think are important for our personal growth, not only, you know, on the financial side or whatever, but also, you know, personal development, uh, mental health, uh, exercise and like fitness and stuff like that. We, we really just, we have fun doing all this and we just want to leave this world in a better place than we found it. So we're doing this for you guys. We love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's Monday, June 27th, 2022. And this was Max's Morning Market Mania.